Layer 3 is a contract research and development firm specializing in Web3 and blockchain infrastructure. Their goal is to break down barriers of limitation and offer growth of innovation to the emerging tech space. They offer a plethora of services such as blockchain consulting, development, infrastructure, and more. Layer 3 can help take your idea from incubation to MVP to release. To learn more, visit layer3.blockbytes.com. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Austin with BlockBytes, and welcome to Across the Chains, episode number eight, the show where we take all the news from the crypto world and bring it right smack dab into your living room. With me, as always, my wonderful co-hosts, Mr. Crypto Clay, Double Sharp, yeah. Justin Bebus, and Nick Dracon. Buns is going to be here uh, in a couple minutes. Uh, she 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 lost her voice last week. That's why she wasn't here, and I, I don't know what happened, but... Uh, yeah, she'll be here. She's gonna she's Every, gonna even out the testosterone ratio. We had like, well, even we we need like a few more women for that. But <laughs> um, like, we had maybe sixteen members get sick the other week. I got sick. What? My girlfriend got sick. Um, They're saying flu season came a month early this year. Uh, I don't know flu what that season. Means, but, uh, <laughs> Here we go again, Dude, all right. guys. So, all right. So, I got a new coffee cup. I want to share it with you, and it says "coffee" because crack is bad for you. And Here's I'm going to be drinking from this. Stoneware coffee. Ah, my God! Let's talk awesome. about the giveaway. That's good. Well, we can. Let's do it. So, what are we giving away today, Clay? Tee us up, baby. Sure. Uh, so if, if you're tuning in, we Liquid Driver was generous enough enough to donate 150 USD worth of Liquid Driver tokens, and we're going to be giving them away in two ways. I think funniest comment is that what we're going with, Austin? Yeah, funny funniest comment. I'm going to pick it. So you know, if you've watched the show and you kind of understand the ones that make me chuckle, uh, those that'll be one winner. The <laughs> <laughs> so funniest comment is one, and then. We have this super cool tool where you can actually type in uh man for a second i'm sorry go ahead keep going <laughs> if you if you type in lqdr hashtag lqdr as in liquid driver into the youtube uh chat box you can actually enter to win this uh live raffle we'll do it probably halfway through the show i think and then pick a funniest comment at the end but if you're watching type in hashtag lqdr enter your chance to win the live raffle. I'll say this again in a bit for people that join late, but if you're here, hit the LQDR in the chat and we'll uh, we'll give away $75 worth of liquid driver tokens to you. Let's go. Let's go, baby. We like giveaways. So, all right. So unannounced uh, topic. So this is not part of our topics for the week, but like, I really feel like I should, we should probably talk about this because some, some wild shit went down. So I'm going to share a screen with you guys. So just the other day, a tweet went out from uh, the guy who is one of the architects of Dai, who was also, you know, I mean, one of the founders of, of MakerDAO. He lived in Puerto Rico. And here's what it said. Uh, CIA and Mossad and pedo elite are running some kind of sex trafficking entrapment blackmail ring out of Puerto Rico and the Caribbean islands. They're going to frame me with a laptop planted by my ex-girlfriend who was a spy. They will torture me to death. And that was on October the 28th. And this is what happened on October the 29th. This guy was found floating 
off of uh, Coronado Beach in Puerto Rico. And it's just weird. And it's kind of like it, it was big news. It like permeated through the crypto community. I don't really know how to think or feel about it or even if we wanted to bring it up as a topic, but like it made so much news. I would feel like if we didn't bring it up as a topic, we were kind of uh, we were kind of missing the boat here. Did you guys hear about this? Like, is there anything deeper? Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's he's dead, right? Like a lot yeah. of people that knew him so as, a, as a doornail. That's confirmed. Um, but I don't know about the tweet. I, don't, I actually don't know anything about this other than he's definitely dead and he definitely that tweet is real but who wrote it like is it a joke i don't know um you know if you're <laughs> let's say you are a black ops um operative and it's your task to silence this guy you don't do it the day after he tweets that so i don't know it's kind of weird well One the thing think. is why why would you like silence him you know like his his creation maker dow is now becoming the preeminent glowy project you know like um to me like you know i i'm a believer in the cia's ability to do reprehensible shit uh i'm a very strong believer in that um to me i dug through this guy's timeline you know this was really juicy crazy it seemed there may have been, and again, like no disrespect to this guy, fabulous, fabulous, fabulous engineer and a legend in the game. But to me, it read as I got caught with pedo stuff on my computer and I'm going to use my last hurrah to give myself plausible deniability and hopefully go out a hero, which, you know, that's like the classic 4chan user like way to die. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's it's a story that's been told again and again and again and again. Again, like the CIA could have easily done this. Mossad could have easily done this. There could have been some, you know, agency that had it out for this guy. Looking through like his CV, looking through everything he has done, planned on doing, etc. I just didn't buy that he would be a, a target, really. Um, but that's just me. I mean, this goes back to August, by the way. Like, this wasn't just like a, he put out a tweet on October 29th and yeah. now all of a sudden he's gone. Like, let me pull something up real quick. Like, I have actual I, schizophrenic friends and it, it probably goes back years and years. Uh, paranoid yeah. schizophrenia is like, you know, yeah. it, it, it shares the same visage uh, on, on all of its kind of sufferers. So, you know, well, it, it is. I mean, but in, in, the, in this one, going back to August, says, before I thought it was Illuminati side people doing sophisticated moves to set me up somehow because I was a threat to the central banking cartel. Now I realize these people are probably the cheapest PIs money can buy. So, I mean, I, I don't know whether it actually is about uh, being a threat to the central banking cartel or if it's just like uh, something, maybe Beavis is right, I don't know, but it's pretty weird. I mean, My I, biggest I, I agree with Beavis. I think, I mean, he's, he kind of, like I think, first off, we will never know, and like yeah, we're all exactly. just speculating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but his, it's like one of those things. Like all of his tweets definitely sound paranoid, and they definitely kind of go across a lot of different things to be paranoid about, which kind of makes me feel like maybe he was just paranoid. But then again, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't after you. Not so, 
Like, who knows, yeah. right? I mean, I don't know. Honestly, if if you're if you have paranoid schizophrenia and you do like the amazing things that this guy has done and kind of put yourself in the limelight in kind of like an antagonistic way. Um, I mean, I imagine it was like a little torturous and, and, you know, I don't want to say he had whatever on his computer or not. Um, I just know that like, you know, it is, I've, I've seen this happen before, like literally like play by play and it, it really sucks and is unfortunate. And, you know, I hope well, this guy's family is, uh, you know, coping properly. And um, yeah, and and don't take my word for anything. I'm just like some guy. Well, I'm, I'm going to move us on because this topic, uh, you know, I was actually, I wasn't, I was disturbed by the topic. I was most disturbed that Clay uses Twitter in light mode, like an absolute maniac. <laughs> like who, who does I do that? I, I honestly, oh, I don't, see? I don't like dark mode out. on anything. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you right now. Like I, I everyone keeps mode. talking about, I hate dark mode. <laughs> I don't know. And like, so the other thing is there's no blue check marks if you have dark mode on. They're all white. So everyone who's talking about blue check marks next to names, I'm like, you guys, you really need to, you know, darken your screens a little bit. And, and Our mathematician uses light mode and says it makes his eyes sharper. Okay. All right. All right, well, awesome. hey, let's, let's get into some topics here. So the biggest news of the day the other day was JP Morgan executing its first DeFi trade using the Polygon blockchain. And this was pretty neat. So Clay and I talked about this on a quick flip. Clay actually hopped on and did a solo, uh, solo live stream about this. So here's the TLDR on, on kind of what you need to know. So there's, there's Onyx, which is a part of JP Morgan. Uh, and then essentially what they did is they executed their first live trade on a public blockchain, they issued tokenized Singapore dollars, so 100,000 of them, as part of the Singapore Central Bank's pilot program, and they traded that over to Japanese yen. And supposedly, this was something that was in the works for quite some time. This is not like uh, they woke up one day and had a wild hair up their ass and said, hey, let's go do something on Polygon. Uh, this is something to where they created a special wallet where traders couldn't have access to the money. They created uh, verifiable on-chain credentials so that they could comply with the, the KYC and AML requirements. Like they really did a lot of work to make this compliant in the way uh, that they needed to be. So what does anyone know about this? Clay, I know you've been digging into this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so, I mean, you pretty much summarized the, the key details. I mean, effectively, JP Morgan, SBI digital assets conducted foreign exchange of government bonds against liquidity pools on Aave, but it happened on Polygon. So I, I'm a little bit less uh, like I kind of want to focus more on like, what does this actually mean, Nick, for, for a macro perspective? You know, I, I personally didn't think that we would see this for quite some time because regulation is too uncertain to have government bonds on chain and be testing these kind of things out. Uh, what is your, like? What do you think this means from a, a, a macro perspective, or if anything? Um, well, when the internet first started, that was an intranet, right? I think it was a military project. Okay. So private blockchains can facilitate um, better financial transactions in terms of speed and 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 security, etc. So the fact that you know, some of these banks are setting up these internal blockchains, then it makes sense that they might start using some external blockchains to start moving money around. So I'm not surprised by it. But the one thing that I would say um, is it strikes me as a move more towards um, CBDCs than something that's good for us. Um, 
you know, uh, looking at the benefits of running things on a blockchain um, and then showing that to regulators and governments, I think that just accelerates the move towards something that we don't want versus something that we do want. Um, that was kind of my takeaway. Um, but just from a general macro type discussion, a, a couple of things happened to me over the last couple of weeks, which signal something similar. Um, I've got a lot of friends in the hedge fund business um, that started 10, 15 years ago. Now they're MDs, they're running their own funds, they're decision makers. And for the last 18 months, they always, you know, ping me and say, hey, you know, what's interesting in DeFi? Is there any trades that we can do? And and because, you know, I, 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 we kind of share ideas on the equities front and it's been very exploratory, right? It's just conversation. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a meeting with one of these guys and he had gotten the green light from, you know, the 80th floor or whatever, you know, however tall that building is that he works in in New York City. Um, that basically said, here's a bunch of money, a few hundred million dollars, and, and go start a digital investment um, fund that just focuses on DeFi. Mm. Not exploratory, not a conversation. Money has been deployed and he's actively looking for opportunities specifically in DeFi in a very opportunistic way. Um, and that's the first time that that has occurred in my um, circle. So I think that in addition to, you know, JP Morgan now doing this publicly, I'm sure they were doing a lot of things privately, whether it's on the JP Morgan books or in subsidiaries. Um, this is uh, not surprising and, and something that I expect to see accelerating. But, you know, my, my, my buddy getting involved is actually quite bullish because it doesn't just signal that, hey, DeFi is a thing. It signals that, hey, there's a good risk reward right now. And maybe there wasn't six months ago, nine months ago, 12 months ago when things were very frothy. So coming in with a few hundred million bucks, sophistication at underwriting risk and analyzing scenarios and having the leverage of going to protocols and, and you know having this big war chest, they see a lot of value in doing that. And that's why the money's been deployed. Um, so that's good. Um, yeah. But you know they're obviously going to pick their spots. And they're not going to um, give any, you know, free lunches. These are sophisticated, serious people. And um, it, 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 that part for me is a lot more positive than JP Morgan moving uh, bonds on chain. That part scares me a little bit. Does it? Yeah, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead, Clay. Go for it. Okay. Um, uh, I know JP Morgan <laughs> Chase has been buying Ethereum for years now. Um so this isn't really that surprising. Um, I would say like it is probably a very uh, acutely organized and detailed marketing event. Them kind of, you know, dipping their toe in for the first time. And as, as like they, they know blockchain is a thing. They've publicly spoken against it and privately been buying in the background. Um, and now that the market is really low, uh, they're, they're kind of starting to uh, telegraph that, that excitement. Um, and, and of course, this is probably the beginning of probably years of, of marketing and, and other such types of exposure. Um, anybody who's like in the know, uh, this probably isn't a huge deal. But now you've got like retail, you've got normies, you've got people kind of outside of the industry, seeing it happening and then forming those connections in their head. Uh, when these connections have been around for a while, 
um, and and seeing it happen on on Polygon is something I didn't really expect. Um, but uh, you know that that kind of makes me think about you know J.P. Morgan Ethereum bag holders, uh, zk EVM coming up, an Ethereum L2 powered by Ethereum, um, possibly something aligns there. That's just my uh, you know. Uh, always sunny like charlie putting the strings to the pictures whatnot <laughs> sort of deal but uh yeah it, it's not the most exciting thing in the world like to me but it is kind of i think a step forward um in general which is cool so i, I was just gonna say i mean the bond market is worldwide 119 trillion dollar market i believe so for for crypto in general i think this has to be somewhat of a some somewhat of an exciting development i mean at least it's gonna you know, it's going to bring a, a ton of money in, like into the onto the chain. Yeah, I mean, all we're doing is making bonds. You know, that's all yeah. crypto is. Is we're you know, Reaper Farm is like we're creating like perpetual floating rate bonds. You know, and everybody. Well, maybe I can't say that, so never mind. Not financial advice or whatever. But Beavis, like, any any time I have an underlying <laughs> asset and you're structuring it, you're you're giving something to LPs, you're you're taking on loans, issuing loans, whatever. Like that's all we're doing, really. It's just we don't have like the the sheen that TradFi uh, industries do, and 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 really we don't have like we don't have a LIBOR, we don't have all of this bonding infrastructure, we don't have good interest rate swaps. Like hedge funds aren't going to come on chain or do anything like that until we have all this infrastructure, all this liquidity. Um, so like having bonds mirrored on chain is cool. Um, to me, what's cooler is uh, like actually engineering DeFi first bonds and not being like <laughs> exit liquidity <laughs> sorry mr sdc i'm getting uh, out of here trolling you dude good yeah. job man good job you know when i hear these big numbers like you just shared clay like i always kind of go like in my heart because like you know i've seen a lot of projects throw these big numbers around ah if we bring forex on the blockchain yeah. we're gonna make 800 trillion dollars and fact of the matter is uh from what i could tell the bond market functions uh, in its current form. And for anyone to like be willing to shift that in any way, shape or form, it has to be more profitable to do so or or like more, there has to be a reason. Or more right? efficient. Or, yeah. or more efficient, yeah. right? I mean, you don't, yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't need like, financial intermediaries in DeFi. So, I mean, th there are reasons that it could potentially be more well, efficient. Like, we don't know I don't how think that this... Thinking. But I don't think this is like cracking open the bonds market to crypto. This was this was them using like I think this was sort of a marketing thing of like we're the first people to do this sort of transaction on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. And there's there's no regulations that say that you can't do that. When we talk about regulations and lack of clarity, that has more to do with um, you know is a token a security or not, and how that's judged. If you want to say that your token is a security and file all the paperwork and do all of that stuff, you can totally do that on the blockchain now. So to me, this, uh, this means that they, you know, made sure all the paperwork was in place. They have all the, the licenses to, to do this already. And then they happen to execute it on a, on a blockchain, um, which is, you know, still bullish for, for crypto and blockchain technology that they are even interested in doing that as a marketing, um, you know, marketing yeah. thing, if, assuming that's all that is, but you know, it, it also means that maybe they are exploring, um, options for you know opening up the market a little bit more and having having it be more DeFi accessible, um, which which is good. So it's it's not um, I don't think it's like groundbreaking per se, but it's still bullish overall in terms of where 
where they're obviously looking. I think I'm the only serial optimist on this show. Like, like I'm the only one that tries to find I just like, said where it was this bullish. might be good for. I know you did. Well, hold on. It I, is good. I, that it wasn't, is. I wasn't directed towards you. Here's here's why it's good, and it may not be it's good in the good. sense that that like eight hundred quadrillion uh, dollars are now going to show up on chain. But it doesn't even matter because what happened is JP Morgan and the Singaporean Central Bank chose where they were going to work. They put the parameters in place that made it compliant for them and they did a proof of concept. And that's all it did. It was a hundred grand. Like Jamie Dimon spends a hundred grand at the bar on a weekend. (laughs) Like it wasn't a lot of money. But the fact that they did it, they did the the POC, they did it on Polygon. There's a lot to be said that's just not being said, right? So infer what you will. It's, it's exciting. Exactly. Here's, here's exactly. the 20 years it'll take to get to where we want to go. Yeah. We're in like year five right now. And now they have like all the licensure and stuff to actually like say, oh, we're actually doing this. But like we've yeah. got like so much work to go. Um, like the TAM is huge. Like Bitcoin's like, ooh, our total addressable market is all of money. Uh, we're going to be worth 100 quadrillion, bazillion, quadrillion dollars. Uh, Let which, me ask you guys a question, you know, right? Fire. If JP Morgan comes out tomorrow and says, we're now offering bank accounts on Polygon. Are you excited about that? No. No. That's because there's... Yeah, you lose I want to offer there. bank accounts yeah. on Polygon. How is this different? Like JP Morgan yeah, not, unless, not unless Railgun's going to have complete privacy for my, uh, yeah. for my so, actual... So th- this is no different to me. That's why I made my yeah. comments initially, that I think this is a dangerous path. I'm not saying it's bad, mm-hmm. but I'm saying... Once they work out what this tech is capable of, and I'm sure that they're very close to it, if not already, they're going to yeah. work out how they can use it for their own benefit. And yeah. you're going to get this marketing push saying, hey, you got on-chain bank accounts come to JP Morgan, right? Yep. That's not a good thing. And, and that's what happens next, right? Yeah. I, so- gave, I gave a, a, a web conference and a Q&A at a top 10 bank a few months ago. And I will tell you, like, even people who are really open to it, even even firms like on the cutting edge who want to stay ahead of the tech race, like you're talking about these, you know, multi hundred thousand employee, like multi, you know, hundred billion dollar companies with billions of dollars of tech infrastructure, billions of dollars of consumer expectations as far as like, OK, how do we take this giant monolith? and implement some brand new tech. It just, it, it's not something you can just quick swap out. It's like, it's an entire workforce. It's an entire, you know, server infrastructure. It's an entire everything. So like they can say they're friendly to blockchains, but, but you know, what we're probably going to see in the nearer term is like, okay, maybe they have, like maybe they acquire a company or they have, a blockchain specific product that's only available in Dubai or some, you know, silly thing like that. Like it's all marketing and, and, and getting it to a point where you can take this monolithic infrastructure and like throw it on top of a blockchain. Like the whole reason you invest in like young agile companies is because they aren't, they don't have that baggage. They don't have that technical debt, you know, and, and they can like build it from scratch and, and probably build it better. Um, And so you know, it, it's it's exciting, but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't read crazy into it. 
I think it just it it just validates us. We're moving on, boys and girls. We have hashed (laughs) this one out. So next topic is actually about a project we have never ever talked about on this show. So I I think most people are are like at least a fan of the new uh, proof of concepts that we've seen around solidly and the way that it's worked over on Optimism with Velodrome. And uh, there's a couple new ones that are about to come out. Uh, One of them being solidly over on ETH, uh, which you probably know is some of the guys from Oxdow. And the other one is called Thena Finance. Now, why are we talking about Thena? couple of reasons. The first reason, I have had a couple of phone calls with this team and bar none, they're the real deal. And second reason, they've partnered with Anchor, Status, uh, excuse me, Stater, Deus, Liquid Driver, Frax Finance, Cheetow, Dowmaker, Yearn, and probably other people that I am forgetting about. And they're going to be launching here in the next six days. And I just wanted to show them some love because I feel like you know, what we've seen with Velodrome on Optimism has really given me uh, kind of the the holistic view of, I think, what was trying to be impressed upon us was solidly, but just didn't quite pan out. And now seeing it actually occur on another chain with this liquidity marketplace and the ability for new projects to come in and bribe to bootstrap their own liquidity, I think it's pretty bullish. And so I really think uh, Athena, I, I believe they're the first uh, solidly type AMM over on BNB, but I could be wrong. Uh, but I will tell you that after chatting with the team, I'm pretty sure they're going to be a real player in this. Have you guys like dug into this at all? Anyone? I know the team. And um, yeah, they know what they're doing. <laughs> well, I'm excited about it. It's BSC, right? And that's just the biggest chain apart from Ethereum. Um, and I think that there's a tremendous business opportunity there. Um so yeah, I'm keeping an eye. <laughs> yeah, let, let me let me support that with some. Uh, there, oh, there we are. Let me let me support that with some facts because I feel the same way as as Nick on this. So, you know, from what we heard from the team, something they've made some fundamental changes even to the Velodrome model that I think is going to enhance what they're doing uh, with sort of the solidly framework. And they have short two-year locking periods, which to me is, is much more uh, palatable than the four-year lock, uh, at least from you know locking things up and, and never getting them back. But but there's 6.1 billion on chain on Binance, and uh, Pan- Pancake Swap, which is the biggest dex over there, has 3.2 billion in TVL. Like that is insane. Uh, so there's huge market share that could potentially be up for grabs uh, if this thing is more capitally efficient, which I think it is, than Pancake Swap. And has better bribing mechanisms, which I think Velodrome has proved. And we've seen Velodrome get 88 million in TVL since going over to Optimism. So there's a lot of reasons that I want to watch this thing. I don't think that they're starting out with the token. And since every other thread I read is basically what airdrop is happening tomorrow, uh, maybe there will be an airdrop potential for this thing as well. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons to, uh, to be keeping an eye on Thena. Oh, you're on mute. Austin, you're on mute. I said, boom, let's go. Sorry, man. I, you know, I mute my shit because I'm like hitting my vape over here and it sizzles and I don't want to be like the guy that's screwing up everyone's you know, feed Dude, and everything. You're chugging energy drinks and vaping. You're literally a zoo. Bro, I am so, I'm just like excited about my crack coffee cup. Oh, are that's you drinking all. coffee for real? or is there? It's energy? actual coffee. I don't have the energy drinks going. Oh. I got a water and I got a coffee like a normal freaking Damn. human today We're what are you drinking cat. bebus no, no. An somebody has somebody figured out a way to do that i might 
You never know. All right, let's keep this show going, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, next topic on here, Clay, we had a Twitter spaces with the, uh, the Shimmer crew the other day. So we had Dom on. He's a co-founder of IOTA. Uh, we had Christian on, who is like, like the leader of their Touchpoint program. And we had Dr. Uh, I almost said Dr. Liquid, Dr. Tangle on. Uh, who is one of the builders on the Shimmer Network. And these guys have some really, really cool stuff going on. And we just love their community. So we wanted to give them a shout out real quick. So here, here's something I learned the other day. So the Shimmer Network has a verifiable, the VRF verifiable random function, I believe what it is, mm-hmm. verifiable randomness built into the network. And uh, what Dr. Tangle educated me on is it means that MEV bots essentially can't exist. Uh, because all of the transactions are randomized. So for anyone that doesn't know what MEV is, minor extracted value, it's like sandwich attacks over on Ethereum. You know, you put your your slippage too high and they come in and they they hit it before you. You drive up the price, they sell into you, things of that nature. Uh, So clarify this for me. So I heard that, but obviously I'm not the big brain of the group. I don't know if that's like actually true. Uh, but one of the developers said it was true. Any anything double sharp? I see you looking up in the air, like, hmm, I'm gonna yeah. slam dunk this son of a bitch here in one second. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it ultimately, I mean, I think it, it comes down to you would have to implement it that way to to do that. Um, I also, I think there's, it all sort of gets wrapped up in MEV, but um, there's like there's arbitrage bots there where that you're getting front ways. run sandwich attacks. Um, MEV specifically has to do with uh, a validator or minor reordering transactions mm-hmm. in their mempool to mm-hmm. execute them in a way that's more profitable for the validators. So like um, nothing in crypto says like in theory, you're, you're just ordering it based on whoever paid the highest gas price. And in reality, you can order it however you want. So um, you can, uh, put them in an order that lets you make an advantageous trade. Um, so if they are, if they have built-in randomness on chain, and then you're able to build that into some of the ordering and and um, and transaction execution. And I haven't looked into exactly how Shimmer works in that regard, but assuming Dr. Tangle's correct, you would you would just use that on-chain randomness um, as part of the ordering, so that the validators aren't able to, um, you know. To, to do the MEV by using some of the randomness. Also, you make it a lot harder for people to front run because you're not actually uh, totally sure where you're going to end up in the ordering of transactions. So from from what I know, from like a very high level, here's what we've got. We've got, we've got no gas fees on IOTA since the Tangle doesn't use them. Uh, every transaction gets its own block. It's asynchronous processing with complete randomness. That's how it's been explained to me. Beavis, am I correct? I see you've got input you, here. You are correct. However, the fact that randomness prevents MEV is incorrect. It actually ah. makes MEV a lot more inefficient and it makes the way you execute MEV. Well, that's this is a, kind of like saying ATM machine, but um, extracting <laughs> value uh, from a block in, in an environment where it's totally random where ordering is random is you just spam the block. And if fees are really low and, and gas costs are really low, like, so, so think of it like a raffle, you know, the way you win the raffle is if you, you stuff the box with, with your own tickets. And like, I think what we may see is um, especially as value makes its way out of the chain, they're going to have to get really intelligent with how they, uh, uh, with with how they auction off block space, because now 
you know, low quality spam is highly incentivized because gas fees are low. The way you extract value is 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 by spamming. And and this has been pretty well researched, I think, by the uh, Ethereum Foundation. So we'll see how it works in practice. I think there are a lot mm -hmm. of like practical ways to mitigate spam. Um, and and you know, it it makes MEV less predictable. Um, it makes it probably like there's less of an incentive to do it, but eventually if they reach kind of terminal velocity and they grow to where they're headed, um, you'll, you'll get that type of MEV spam and, and that will clog the network and that will probably be uh, really annoying for users. So uh, figuring out how to auction that off. And, and the thing is like, if, if you're facilitating multi-million dollar transactions, even if gas is 10, 20, $30, it's going to be worth, <laughs> worth it to spam. Um, <laughs> So well, but that's yeah. that's the thing on on Shimmer. I don't think they have. There's no gas. It's not there's gas no gas. It's like you're there's no gas at all. Yeah. The yeah, way that way that they use deposit. exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 there's storage deposits for data that lives on chain, and you can get your storage deposit back when you're when you don't need the data any longer. Like that's pretty cool. They, there's no need for like IPFS and things like that, according to what's been explained to me. But like so, so Clay, can you get a direct answer from Dom on this? You're gonna be doing an AMA with him in, in a couple of days, I think. Yep. Right. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Of course. Really, I mean, where I want to say I... here is real quick. All I want to say here is for for the phantom people that rode that wave. If this is a ground floor thing uh, yep. with Shimmer, and that's kind of why they keep coming up, is because we keep going layers deeper into what they're building and going, oh shit, something's about to explode over here, and we have an opportunity to be there first. Yeah, Go ahead, Clay. I'm sorry for cutting you off. It's all good. Uh, it's what that's what makes me excited about this. Is this is you know we've been talking to this team uh, pretty frequently, and they've actually taken you know there's first mover advantages, but there's also an advantage I think particularly in the blockchain space to come in at a time like now in a bear market because that team at IOTA is or the foundation is really really serious. I mean they're they're they straight ship uh, you know really strong tech. They were just too early to the game. And so now they've been able to sit back, watch everybody else develop uh, all these different use cases on layer ones and kind of meld together what I think is a best of kind of package uh, along the way from a technical perspective. So, you know, no need for, for bridges and it's a feeless, uh, you know, feeless transfers on chain between layer ones and, and the sovereign blockchains or layer twos, whatever they're going to call them. Um, you know, I know that they're going to support EVM, they're going to support Rust, and they're talking about supporting Move. So there's just a lot of like kind of new things they're bringing to the layer one space that nobody else is doing. Um, and giving builders optionality uh, and, and just the interoperability that they're building with their layer one infrastructure. I, I'm, I'm really excited. And the fact that it, it has nothing on it yet, like there's just going to be so many opportunities that, that kind of pop up from this ecosystem if they do it well. And they're, they're talking about an incentive program right now which we've seen, and I think we'll talk about later how successful that's been with optimism. So there's a lot of things they have going on that uh, I think are also worth keeping an eye on. Yeah. Dude, they don't great segue. To innovate, and I'm hey, there. And I just man. ruined your segue. My bad. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. You, you didn't. You, nobody ruins a segue, man. So the segue <laughs> is actually into the next topic, which is kind of I'm calling this the topic of the day. If I had a button I could slam, this would be the topic of the day. A whole shitload of stuff has happened on Phantom uh, recently. Yeah. So uh, they, so here, here's the timeline of kind of what went down, right? So they released the article about the Phantom grants 
And, you know, I mean, I would say on first glance, it was very underwhelming because they said, you know, only 125,000 Phantom are going to be uh, put into the first round. So I, I chatted with Juan. I'm like, hey, Juan, what's actually going on here? He said, don't sweat it. This is only the first round. They're doing a tester just to make sure everything is going to work. And then they're going to come at it full force. So, all right, cool, man. So I, I would say, I would say, assuming everything goes well with the first round, we're going to if all goes well, uh, see, see something more significant on the next side. So then we want to enter uh, the wallet chart, which I should have had pulled up, but I don't really need to have it pulled up because honestly, the wallets went up by like 4 million or something. And it was all due to bots. Uh, it was completely with the launch of this project Zen. There, I think there was an increase of like 4.5 million wallets or so something far. like that. Right. And, and I know Double Sharp dug into this one. We should get you like to do a little a little presser on this. Uh, this is. Yeah. You know. I mean, at, at a just super high level, it's a Sybil attack. Uh, Zen Crypto is, is like some project where you get to mint from unique addresses, basically. And someone figured out on Ethereum, Polygon, Avalanche, Phantom, BSC, uh, those are the networks that I checked at least that if you write a little bot to create a minimal proxy address to mint Zen from, you can just mint tons and tons and tons of Zen tokens. So there was, they're kind of spread out amongst some different wallets, at least on phantom, but there's, it's basically one person controlling the majority of the supply. So I would be wary of that. Um, they're also spamming lots of networks and just creating lots of empty contracts that it was on Polygon too, forever. wasn't it? Uh, like pretty much every EVM network networks or something. Of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they just deployed, Ghost deployed, chain. deployed, deployed. Yeah. It's pretty congested yeah, so, yesterday. Yeah. Um, but that's, that, yeah. they've been paying a ton of gas fees also, which is a little strange. Like they've been paying hundreds of dollars per hour in, in fees to do this. Um, so maybe they think that ultimately it will be worth, uh, you know, whatever pump, they're planning to do with owning most of these tokens, which pump um, up that builder system ecosystem support fund. Right. So as yeah. far as Zen goes, like, I think this is kind of a non-starter. Like it's, it's not really going to be of any benefit. And if, if anyone from FTN scan, FTM scan is watching, like, can you just get us a little toggle to ignore Zen on the charts? And I think <laughs> that'll just be that, but that's not really the big news though. Like the big news, uh, is clearly the thing that painted a 30% big green dildo on the charts the other day. Uh, and that is that Andre, publicly came back, made a post on Twitter, uh, changed his uh, LinkedIn to the meme lord of Phantom, I think it said maybe, or VP of memes, which, you know, just last week we had a topic about Andre, about the article that he put out that was probably not written by him. It was uh, written by somebody at a law firm, which, of course, you know, crypto Twitter, it, somebody works there that shares the Cronier name and all this. And, you know, I mean, we've we've mentioned this before, but like, Andre has did not, never left Phantom. Like we all know that to be true. He's been, you know, with the Phantom team essentially kind of driving the ship for for quite some time now. But here's what I want to say. And I, I put a tweet out about this this morning because the thing that I didn't expect was the absolute crazy ape shit retweets, comments. I mean, it just went absolutely nuts. And all the dude did was put a meme out that said, well, here we go again. Uh, and it shot up 30%. Like, I don't know if this is bear market stuff. I don't know. But, uh, you know, on the last show, we were all kind of like questioning, like, is, is Andre still relevant uh, in this scenario? Like, if he came back, would it really do anything? 
I think that question's kind of been answered at this point. I, I said he was. Buns, what do you think about this? <laughs> okay. well, of course. I mean, we saw how much it dropped whenever he left. I've, people want to make money. So, and FOMO is a real thing. So, if people, this is the thing, it's like game theory, you're trying to think about what other people are thinking. So, what they're thinking is if other people are hyped about it, then they need to act on it because they expect other people to act on it. So, they're going to act on it. And so, it's like this self fulfilling prophecy where people are going to jump in. So, so yeah. I have a, I have a prediction and I think this is not a, I don't think he just woke up one day and said, yeah, fuck it. Let's go back to Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, I believe this is a, is very likely a planned out thing with the foundation as part of a marketing strategy that will be coming forth. I have no proof of that. Uh, I cannot prove that in any way, shape or form, but I don't think this is a random thing. I think it's got some legs. <laughs> I'm just disappointed I wasn't told ahead of time. Next time, tell me. Yeah. Do. <laughs> let me um, let 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 me jump in here. So jump. Let's um. What I try and do in everything is remove the emotion out of it, right? And analyze situations for what they are. Um, and I understand Andre is an emotional topic. I love Phantom. I got on this show when it was just about Phantom. Everyone I've met in <laughs> DeFi at the beginning was from Phantom. I still love using the chain. So we all like the chain and we want it to do well. You know, half the people on this panel have businesses on the chain. So, but I want to remove myself from that and think about this scenario um, very objectively. And here's what I came up with. It's common knowledge, as Austin said, that Andre didn't go anywhere. I know it's not common knowledge on Twitter, but it certainly is on this panel and, and outside of this panel. Um, that Andre didn't go anywhere and he has been driving the ship at the foundation. That's not speculation. Um, that's, that's a fact. So from an investment standpoint, announcing that you're back when you never went anywhere, for me as an investor says, okay, well, what changes? Nothing changed because the decisions were still being made. The decisions that will be made tomorrow are being made the same way that they were made six months ago. So that's why I think the... I'm back pump isn't what most people want it to be because nothing really has changed under, you know, under the hood. That's the first point. The second point is, um, again, just going back in time and trying to recognize patterns in DeFi, but in anything that I do. And, you know, um, if you are a builder and you're building a business and you're a sophisticated individual and you're building something that you want other sophisticated individuals to be a part of and you want to grow it and you want to be, you know, and, and you're the leader and you come out and say, hey, I'm back officially and I'm going to do what I can so that we can win, right? Um, do you call yourself the VP of meme stuff? Apart from Elon Musk, no human in the history of the world can get away with that stuff. So, and then I'm thinking, okay, who does that appeal to? Who does the jokes appeal to? Who do the memes appeal to? Who does this creating FOMO that Buns correctly outlined appeal to? It doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't appeal to sophisticated investors, but we do know who it does appeal to, the crowd and the mob. And unfortunately, they're the ones that lost all their money six months ago. I didn't, right? So 
my tweet yesterday was more around caution and trying to look at things through the lens of logic and reason and not buying into FOMO and things that might not matter. With that said, I hope he comes out and hits it out of the ballpark. I hope he comes out with a new protocol that we can all use and it's fantastic. But I got messages from people yesterday who lost a lot of money, not because of Andre, because they lost a lot of money. And they were like, well, he's back. Is that awesome? Should I hold my bags? Should I sell my bags? And I don't think that's the question to be asking. I think the question is, don't do anything and wait and see what actually happens, right? Give the guy a chance to come back, get his rhythm back publicly, make some appearances, and then assess whether that's something you want to be involved with or something that you want to continue waiting on. So I kind of try and, you know, extract myself from the mayhem in every scenario. This is not a phantom on Andre specific, um, you know, type rant, but look at things for what they really are and then make your decisions. Um, because if something goes wrong, you only have yourself to blame, not me or Austin or Andre or anybody else. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's what I've got to say. Or <laughs> be this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, 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 so, so, sorry, double one last thing. So the, fun, <laughs> the jokes are fun. The memes are fun. I like them. But let's not forget that this guy basically took his ball and ran away when Bebus played a joke on him. That's kind of, you know, the, 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 the genesis here. So, you know, if we want to have fun, let's all have fun. But don't get upset when someone else tries to have fun at your expense. Rant but over. I think... I mean, I think so. Obviously, this it was him. Him one. I was. I didn't know that you got to keep all your Twitter followers after that long. So that was cool. But <laughs> like him coming back and and like tweeting, obviously, was good for the price of Phantom. Um, and so I said, you know, when people have been wanting him to come back and tweet stuff for a long time, that I was like, I don't think you know, if he gets on Twitter and tweets something, I bet the price will go up. I don't think that it's actually going to be a sustainable increase in price unless he is actively involved in in you know doing cool stuff for phantom which is what i think people ultimately want deep down so i think it's it's you know it's some sort of shift in strategy to have him be more public again since he said he didn't want to be in the public so i think that indicates something um that that's changed and if he does end up you know being more public about the things that he's working on in terms of the phantom network or uh, protocols on on phantom i think that will that will ultimately be really good for the network regardless of you know anything that's happened in the past and i mean we're still like i i said way back in the winter last winter that solidly i thought was really cool and a lot of the stuff that it it was doing was like a, you know innovative but that i felt i felt it was really rushed and just needed a little bit more time to be polished which i think ultimately was proven to be correct at least to some extent and now we're seeing lots of, you know, more polished versions of it launch on all sorts of networks um, that people are excited about. So he's he's definitely capable of putting out innovative, creative things that people want to see. And so I think it, it could end up being, you know, exciting for Phantom going forward. But wait I, and see. Yeah. I, I So I agree. So I, I wanted to like, because there's so much like noise on Twitter. Like there's there's different people that are, sort of phantom maxi saying all kinds of shit. And I wanted to like separate what is real, what is fake, like what actually matters. Here's something that matters. GMX from Arbitrum is about to launch on phantom. They've done exceptionally well on Arbitrum. That might yep. actually bring, you know, legitimate. Just, just on that, 
Is it GMX or is it someone forking GMX? I heard it's someone forking it, GMX it? called Arc. I don't uh, know, but it's I, I don't think it's GMX deploying on Phantom. Hmm. I think it's someone that is forking it. I could be wrong, but we have yeah, we, we have Unidex on, on Phantom already, which already does. <clears throat> I hope it's I GMX. like Unidex. I mean, like <laughs> like it's. The, I, I think like you know, Andre is someone like. I read all his papers when I when I started investing in Phantom. You know, he, a lot of those papers kind of inspired me to get into DeFi. But it's like the movie Dodgeball, where you have like Patch, who's like used to be like this legend, and now he's like throwing wrenches at you. Um, it, it's like as a builder, it's just like really frustrating to have that volatile element that is just like constantly throwing curveballs. You know, doesn't communicate, doesn't do X, Y, Z. But the potential is like he's 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 proven himself like time and time again, and like him being successful will only be good for me. I think it'll probably be good for everyone on this panel. And it's like I just do not want to be disappointed again. I know a lot of people feel the same exact way. I want him to be serious, and and his entry, his flashy entry here. Uh, was really, really far from serious. And, you know, as someone who, you know, I work a ton, I'm trying to build this network. I'm trying to, like, help people and, and do good stuff. And he can do that being not serious. He's proven he can do that. But more often than not, that doesn't end up being the case. So I, I would just like some level of leadership, some level of seriousness um, if he wants to play such a huge role. And and maybe he doesn't want to play a huge role and he's just cursed with being this personality that can't be anything but huge. Um, in, in which case, you know, I, I feel sorry for him. But um, it's just, I'm, I'm kind of taking the Nick approach. I'm just waiting and seeing and watching. I think really, like, no matter what, it's a net benefit um, to, to Phantom having this kind of hoopla. But it's really like crypto Twitter and the people get that get excited about this sort of thing are a minute, minute piece of the equation. And there are a lot of problems um, that the team needs to fix before they want to be taken really seriously again. So I'm excited, but only tentatively. Um, Buns, what do you think I, here? I you want to jump in? Yeah, Sorry I just think that. that Beavis is an exception to the rule, but I think that there's an inverse relationship between social aptitude and your developer skills. It's like, I mean, I think that that's a, that's a real thing that sometimes you just kind of get absorbed in just being a coder and just tapping away at your computer. And then you forget about like how the real world works. And then you start to try to operate and function as a, as a community leader. And you may not be so great at that, even though the people may expect you to be great at everything, but we can't all be Beavis. So. Very good point, Buns. That was, you know, I, I know that that came up on some of the episodes that that pissed people off uh, back in the day was, you know, you've got your super uber smart tech guys that are going to crank out like awesome shit. And then you've got your super great like CEO types that are going to crank out awesome shit from a PR standpoint or big home runs from adoption standpoints and things that are going to matter for people that I, if I'm not a coder, Right. So I try and think over here in this, like, what are, what do people want type of thing? Whereas I would imagine if I was dealing in like logic all day long, this, this yeah. side would be really difficult to connect to, which is my guess, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it, Which, it, is, I mean, I, it is really difficult. Like I can't do both. 
like, you know, right now all I do is like code review and like design because you can't be in the I'm going to be a communicator mindset for weeks and weeks and weeks and then just fall in and get in the zone and, and whip out a thousand lines of code in an afternoon. It's like I basically like a, a few months ago, we we're like, OK, BD and marketing needs help. Beavis, you got to stop freaking writing code all the time. Uh, so so then I was like, all right, I'm going to switch my focus for now. And now, like, no programmer, no engineer wants to be the manager that just, like, reviews code every day and, and like, allocates resources. But sometimes that's what you have to be. And, and I think, like, if Andre can learn how to do that and he can use, like, the power of, of being kind of the brain of an operation and having really broad domain knowledge is you can impart some of those powers to everybody that works on projects with you and everybody under you. And, and that's the power. And it seems like he's kind of siloed that and, and it's a magical resource and, and he is super creative, um, you know, more domain knowledge, more broad domain knowledge than, than I'll ever have, um, you know, and, and I think he needs to just become a manager and it, it sucks. It's like going out back and being shot if you're a programmer, but it's like what you have to do for the company to succeed. And it, it happens to every talented engineer ever is they need someone to make sure this shit works good, you know? Um, and, and that and, person needs to work but at a high level. I, the last thing I, I will say is I do think that, um, that, I think you hinted, hinted at this earlier, Bebis, that in general, less volatility in a development environment would be good. So whether that's, you know, even sort of like we, we mentioned the um, Gitcoin incentives, like even, you know, sort of getting ahead and saying that this is a pilot program and that's why we unpinned the 370 million whatever phantom thing and then said it's 125,000. Like a lot of people were confused about like, wait, is it now just a $125,000 grant program? It's stuff like, you know, I think getting in front of the communication with, with developers and projects on the network um, in terms of what you can expect or like things that you're going to need to do. So like there's a, a new round coming in 2023. Is that the beginning of 2023, the end of 2023, it's bigger. Does that mean it's 126,000 or does that mean it's 125 million? Like having some more clarity and, and you know, less volatility really helps plan. I've stopped. I've stopped expecting clear communication from the foundation on things like this. Like, if that is your expectation, like, good luck. You're in for a long ride. Um, yeah. Where's and, your optimism? And, and, and do well. It's, and do, it's the do easiest you do. thing to get right, Clay. Hold it's on. The easiest on. thing to get right. One second. One second. So, uh, I don't know why any of us are surprised that the price moves on Phantom when Andre is the Vitalik of Phantom. If Vitalik I'm, woke I'm up tomorrow and said, "Fuck it, I'm out." Eats price would go to the floor. It would absolutely tank. I guarantee it. And then if he came back, it would probably go back to the moon. So there's right. just to me like this is logical. It's not like, yeah, the guy's like a deity of this space for Phantom specifically. If that's going to be your role, you better act with integrity. You better act with like actually showing up to work like this is your job and you have the best interest of the thing that you yeah. made for the community. But that's that remains to be seen. But to me, it doesn't surprise me at all that thing goes up thirty percent when he comes back because he is the guy who built it. Truly, I mean, and and right now we've got a CEO who arguably is probably taking marching orders from someone else who's now back. So like, I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's not. And but if you're going to assume that role, you better you better step up to the plate and do it well. 
And marketing is a huge aspect of any business or blockchain. And, and the fact of the matter is that he is, you know, really good for phantom marketing. He has a ton of Twitter followers. Memes are a way that people <laughs> interact with things on Twitter and other other platforms these days. So, you know, I, I mean, I 100% agree with you, Clay. That's sort of what I was saying earlier. I don't think it's if he's just popping back up for a second that's not like a sustainable no. uh, like, yeah. improvement to Phantom. But if he's like actively working and participating in, in the network, then I think that's definitely super bullish for Phantom. I, I'm sure we have to move shop. on. But I, we, we get a lot of shit on the show for talking about this kind of stuff, but people will forget that he extracted a billion dollars worth of value from this network. And a lot of people lost money on solidly and it's called accountability. And so if you're going to show back up, you know, then I hope it's the real deal for the right. Reasons. All right. That's I am idea. killing this topic. All right. I'm going to end it with this. Okay, <laughs> I got to take back over. Here's what I'm going to end this with. Uh, the foundation did a survey not too long ago, a couple weeks back, and they were gauging. I, I took the survey, so I just got to see the questions, and I know that they were gauging community sentiment. <laughs> oh, we lost Clay. Clay's gone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Jesus> <laughs> Clay, no pee. So uh, they were gauging community sentiment. They were trying to uh, get directional, you know, feedback from the community. And that was something that like, like we were begging them, please get feelers into the community, understand what's going on in the community. Right. And they did that. And uh, my feeling is that this is part they they woke up one day and they said, shit, you know, we're sitting on a box of marketing gold. All we need to do is flip it over and reach inside. And, and I believe this is part of a much larger marketing plan that's being executed in conjunction with the foundation. I can't prove that to you, but I believe this to be true. And this isn't Andre coming back being, hey, it's just Andre again. It's Andre, the meme lord of Phantom, but it's specifically about Phantom. And I see it as a positive, regardless of anything else. If, it, you know, if we can forgive and forget about the past and, and he can come back and this can be a positive thing for Phantom, then let's rock and roll, you know, because I, I know these builders are my friends and, and they kind of, they felt like shit for a little while. And if they can come back and be actually supported in some way, even if it's volume on their decks, yeah. good. Who gives yeah. a shit? Projects, Do it. I like, I like their approach with the, with the funding too. focusing on small projects, focusing on getting people off the ground, focusing on supporting the really kind of, High margin, sort of risky, but but low cost uh, kind of investments or, or grants. Dude, I'm all about it. And I know they're good at marketing because, you know, when they start going, it's like, woo, crazy mode. So and, and people are people are like, you know, starting to chill out. Nobody's like as depressed as they were when the when Luna crashed or whatever. Everybody's kind of adjusting to the new normal. I know, you know, I talk to like, you know, private equity guys, VC type guys and. And finally, they're like, okay, you know, we get it. Uh, we know what's happening. You know, communication from, from the Fed or whatever is, is relatively clear. We can't just put our lives on pause indefinitely. Um, so hopefully they come Let's, out swinging as, as they almost always do. So, yeah, all right. We have to move I am, I am bullish. I just, some, I'm in, uh, anything I <laughs> yeah. said was constructive criticism. I think I'm in the bull right. camp on this one. I'm moving us on clay. Two Let's things. Go. One, when you go take a leak, don't pull yourself off screen. Cause it throws everyone around. And secondly, <laughs> pick a, pick a goddamn winner of the liquid driver. Would you please? Oh yeah, absolutely. 
We're at that point in the show. If you put hashtag LQDR, share your screen, brother. Let's throw it up there. We've got this uh, cute, cool little feature. Oh, the weapons are back. Well, this is it's a good wep- weapon time. Uh, it is a good you know, one. All right. Are, it's a good if time you for weapons. If you haven't typed in hashtag LQDR, fandom. then no you're not in the, the end. So show. 45 uh, of you. Here we go, baby. Yeah. Dude, Justin Beavis, Justin Beavis, Justin Beavis. Come on. No, no, you Beavis can't play. You can't oh win, God. Beavis. All right, Adelon. Damn, Adelon. Wow. Adelon, you're the guy. This guy right here. Adelon, <laughs> hit up Clay, man. Uh, yeah. Or drop your Twitter handle in the uh, in the chat so Clay can write it down. Yeah, uh, dude, drop yeah. your Twitter handle right now in the chat if you can. Thanks. Good deal. All right, we're moving on. The next one will be picked by me at the end of the show, and it's going to be for the funniest comment. We've got a couple of really, really good ones. So let's 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 kick it over to uh, another like huge business development home run, uh, which is that Instagram Meta selects Polygon for uh, the minting uh, and and sales of NFTs on their platform. So uh, digital collectibles, I guess I guess they're calling it. But who's got information on this? Because this is again, it's just one of those like you teed it up and they hit it out of the park, and it's massive, massive, massive. The entire crypto world grabbed onto this news like everyone that i follow re- was retweeting this news yeah, yeah I, mean, I think everyone figured out that you can uh you can mint nfts cheaply on some networks and and you know there it seems like a lot of people are jumping jumping on the whole minting on polygon or or you know having custodial wallets for users on polygon because um, i'm guessing the fees and and um they're i'm you know, I think we've talked about it in the past, but they're obviously doing a lot of business development. So if you have people reaching out to Instagram and, and Meta saying, hey, let's do this, then it starts happening, I think. Well, so here's the thing. I don't think they need to reach out because their head of marketing is former Meta, uh, yeah. as far as oh, I know. Well, do you know how do you know how big the Polygon staff is? There's like 450 people that work for Polygon. It is Mm-hmm. a massive organization and that that's part of the reason they're humming like they have a culture uh if you go follow ryan wyatt who's the ceo of polygon studios which he's like very instrumental in a lot of these things that are happening you're going to get a lot of cool information from that dude so I, and that's part of why i've become such a fan of polygon is just watching them hum in the background and it's not the sort of thing where like they need external parties to light a fire under their ass. Like their ass is on fire. They're cranking this stuff. And it's almost like once a week we get holy shit news uh, coming from the Polygon camp. And it's just really, really cool to see and, you know, to contribute to like with the show that Clay and I are doing. We, we just this love is, learning more about it. You know, this is the gateway drug that gets Nick into NFTs. Um, <sighs> digital collectibles on, on Instagram. Uh, uh, no, I mean, I think so. They proved the model with Reddit, obviously, but if you put this into context, the Instagram audience is, is 10 X bigger on a daily basis than Reddit. So there's 500, uh, 500 million daily active users on Instagram. There's 52 million daily active users on Reddit and every single wallet on the polygon side is going to be, or on the Instagram side is going to be the back end will be polygon. So it's just a, a massive more people that are going to be coming to the chain itself. Obviously it's getting reflected in the price. I mean, people are starting to, like they're hitting daily home runs on the BD side with huge, huge organizations and people are starting to pick up on this and it's super uh, impressive and they've laid the groundwork. Like it's, it's not like this was an overnight thing. Like this partnership with Meta was actually announced many, many months ago. So they've obviously yeah. laid the groundwork for this uh, a long way. But I also think on the Instagram side, they haven't come out with a new product in 
I couldn't tell you the last time when, like since they released stories. And so for them to enable um, artists to actually make money on the platform where you can tag artists, if you buy their PFP, you can tag them in the thing. Like the actual implementation use case is super cool. And I think it's a, it's a really great product for Instagram. The, the wireframes look like it's going to be really cool kind of layout. And it just makes PFPs, ma or, uh, makes NFTs, excuse me, mainstream. And it's all powered by Polygon. So, you know, Ryan awesome. Wyatt, the, the guy that, um, that Austin just mentioned, Ryan Wyatt, the CEO of Polygon Studios, mm -hmm. seven years, senior MD, YouTube gaming, global. Yep. So he ran that business for seven years. Um, so that kind of, it's not the size of the team. Sure, they got 450 people. But when you're funded, we are well funded with hundreds of millions of dollars and you have a tremendous opportunity in front of you, you go find the best two or three people at that job in the world and you give them a bucket of money. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that wins. That, that's, that's a proven formula, whether it's professional sports or business. Um, so other chains should, should take note. You know, you, you, you want Michael Jordan on your team. And this guy seems to be that. He's no joke. He's no joke. Yeah, and I mean, connections, like you're saying, connections in Silicon Valley or any sort of, you know, there's like tech-centric places. And if you are having, you know, cross-pollination with employees from some of those other huge companies, it does make it a lot easier to get partnerships done. You might still have to reach out, but you reach out a lot, you know, less far if you used to work with some people. So, yeah. um, you know, having the right people in place. I want to address something real quick. So I put a, a tweet out, not that like many people follow my personal account because I tweet weird shit, but, uh, but I put a tweet out of, of uh, a picture of me and Clay on the TV because we were running Quick Flip last night and somebody said, oh, Polygon, their tech sucks. And I said, well, you probably haven't looked at them in like a long ass time uh, because they have some of the most cutting edge innovative tech like that's on the market today and their, their main proof of stake chain, I believe uh, they've been going through a series of upgrades. So anyone that's still kind of running on the old narrative, uh, I would encourage you to maybe go, go take a second look because a lot has changed over there. All right. Should we keep this, this party train moving? I Let's think we roll. should. So tell me about, so, so, all right. So CZ wires half a bill to Elon, right. To, to get a piece of, of Twitter and, uh, you know, everyone infers, oh, uh, uh, bleh. take two. Okay. Elon says uh, that he wants to like integrate blockchain payments into Twitter, right? So then Doge shoots up because fuck it, why not? And everyone gets all bullish that CZ is maybe going to, you know, throw BNB in there. And then here's what I hear the other day uh, is that B, uh, excuse me, uh, CZ, man, dude, it must be the crack in my coffee. Uh, CZ said that he is actually bullish on CBDCs, almost to the point of like encouraging them to take place that it will drop the barrier of the blockchain space for normal people, which I had to step back and go, wait a minute. Like I was under the impression this guy had like the best interest of the people type of ethos, although he's got like 70 four billion dollars uh under his 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 thumb i mean does anyone have information on this i'm gonna stop talking because apparently my thoughts aren't processing out of I my mean, mouth today you are you aren't ready for the for the hot sweaty coffee uh buzz you'll you'll learn um 
But the, the thing about CBDCs, and we've talked about this before, and I think like a lot of crypto Twitter, a lot of influencers really like kind of the fallacious logic. They like being, you know, really polarizing. But at the end of the day, like CBDCs aren't going to stop DeFi from existing. CBDCs aren't going to stop the movement. You know, it's called DeFi for a reason. We're, we're defying, you know, structural norms or, or you know, unfair institutions. Um, so <laughs> I think I can... Uh, agree a little bit with CZ. You know, I think, you know, we, nobody wants glowy coin, but at the end of the day, like, you know, the reason Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all this stuff is so popular is because the barrier to entry is like minimal. And, and a lot of people really don't care about the stuff that DeFi's core users right now care about. They, they like the market is always going to select efficiency it's always going to select like speed. It's always going to select utility and comfort and ease of use. And while, while our values collectively, a lot of our viewers values, a lot of the DeFi markets values right now, doesn't necessarily prioritize those as highly as things like privacy, things like resiliency. Um, normies don't really care. So, you know, CBDCs, think about it like the world's, you know, universal API that, you know, anybody can easily jump into the blockchain and, and, and start doing stuff. Um, it, it's really a matter of taking this digital currency. So now you have like an API that can easily communicate um, with DeFi and absorb like all of these people, all these billions of people who maybe aren't super crypto friendly right now. It can make it normal and it can make it easy to onboard users. Now, do we want that? Do we want people stomping around in our, you know, domain like this? I'm not sure. I don't have a strong opinion, but I can see where CZ is coming. I have a strong I, I don't, opinion. I don't, I don't think that it's even like, Austin, do you really think it's about CBDCs? I finally got the acronym right there. But I, like, I don't, I don't know, dude, but I, I, I don't, not, not one cell of my body believes that CBDCs will not be, is I, not the first step towards social I, credit, surveillance I, I, systems. You get out of line. We turn you off. PayPal finding you because they don't like something you put on Twitter. I'm, I'm with that you. I'm with you. I just, I don't think this is tinfoil hat stuff at least at on the onset like i i read two quotes so by by cz one was we're long-term investors we believe in strong entrepreneurs i think nick would probably say that that you invest in strong people and i think that cz probably looks at elon and says this is a great opportunity for us to get in with someone who i believe can make a really badass business in twitter it's also a great way for for binance to slide in like polygon is doing all over the place with these social platforms and be the first one in there uh, and then the second piece of it is the second quote that I saw was we want to help solve those we're talking about problems immediately, like charging for memberships that can be done very easily using cryptocurrency as a means of payment. So, I mean, if you're if you're Binance and you're coming out with uh, with a, with a stable coin and you've got BNB and you've got a bunch of different you know rails to enable Twitter to have cryptocurrency payments, then I think it's just a genius biz dev move. Like, I don't know if we need to overcomplicate it. I think no, it's Elon. It is a great it's business. It's a, it's a huge yeah. move, right? I love the yeah. fact that CZ bought in with Elon and that Elon took the money. Did you guys see yesterday's uh, SBF put out a tweet? Here's the reasons why we decided not to proceed with Elon. Now, that's yeah. not the impression I got from the tweets that were <laughs> released is that he said, nah, dude, y'all keep that shit. We don't want it. But CZ <laughs> investing, like I could see that being bullish. I was just blown away when I heard about him being in favor of CBDCs, it just goes against everything that feels right in, in my body. 
Yeah, Dude, if Twitter can hand like Jack Dorsey really wanted to be the payments guy with Square, which is now Block, and now with all the other stuff he's doing. The problem is he's a Bitcoin maxi, so he's essentially like a luddite, um, and and a luddite at the head of like a tech firm trying to conquer these markets uh, isn't going to work. So I mean, like I see a path for Twitter to be really profitable. You know, whether you like Elon or not, I think like he's making the hard, but you know, probably good decisions on, you know, unfortunately, I'm, I have a history of being an Elon hater. I, I'm trying to separate, you know, that from reality. But yeah, and as far as the CBDCs go, like, I mean, the boots already like on our face, you know, we're in the dirt. Uh, you know, the NSA can look at anything you've got going on on your phone. Like, I, I hope that the prevailing narrative becomes privacy first. I hope that the prevailing narrative becomes, you know, user first, human first, individual first, but normal people just don't care as much um, as, as we do. And, and that's the unfortunate reality. And if we want, like, it, it's going to be like the total addressable market growing because of CBDCs and then us having more opportunity to bring people into the privacy narrative. Um, and, you know, it, it just... We like CBDCs are just going to make it, you know, exactly like it is anyway. Um, you know, it just it just sucks. It already sucks. And I don't see us gaining market share uh, without it continuing to suck, unfortunately. But um, all we can do is try, you know. You know, I think my, my problem is not so much the introduction of CBDC as it is the deintroduction of cash, which is the only real true form of of, you know, extract or or exchanging value with another human being that actually can be still anonymous. If you and there's a camera like, and on every ATM, you know, and dude, there is man. But like we had, so we had a conversation with, um, one of the co-founders of Railgun the other day, who, if you've never checked out Railgun, you totally should. They're doing some really cool on-chain privacy stuff. And like, it's almost that scenario of boiling the frog. You know, if you, if for anyone that's I guess everyone's probably of age when, you know, when nine 11 happened and the Patriot act was introduced and it's like, this is for the greater good. We're railing against our enemies who are clearly out to get us, you know, and then we go to war with Iraq, which had nothing to do with it to begin with, but it was real convenient. But then they just start taking away privacy one by one by one. And they're boiling the frog is what they're doing. They're turning up the heat slowly, but surely and convincing everyone that if you don't think in the way that we're convincing you to think you're, you're whatever, you're whatever adjective they want to throw at you. I'm kind of, I'm kind of a little froggy, you know? Uh, So I see you leaping back there. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, um, you know, there's a backdoor into every Intel chip, you know, it's like, Absolutely. Like people thinking that they can escape, you know, uh, is, I mean, like going back to earlier, like we should still try. You know, Thank you. Nick. I agree. Thank you. Nick. I, I don't, I, you know what? Shut up just to be He's being too defeatist. Um, Beavis is glowing I'm, I'm going right to try now. my absolute like darndest, um, to, to help, you know, Beavis is right, but we're against we killers. Also try we should try. Yeah. All right. We should definitely. I'm moving us on. Yeah. I'm moving us on. It was, I don't know. We got into CBDCs. My bad. My so, bad. I'm going to take the well, shit on that one. A, a slightly different angle. I'm never really super surprised to find out a billionaire doesn't have my best interest in mind. Ooh. Like, Ooh. regardless of the billionaire. Like, All right. I, I, 
you know, they didn't it's get, a, you don't get $70 billion dollars by proven that yeah. they'll do anything to do it. So it'd be how it'd be. I want to talk about optimism for a second. Can we do that? So we, Ooh, we damn. talked about the phantom Bitcoin <laughs> grants earlier and we expressed our like feeling on it. And optimism has uh, granted over 48 million USD to date. And so 25% of the total supply is actually allocated to an ecosystem fund providing funding to projects and communities. Is this, uh, so is this the other side of the coin, right? Like we remember the run up that happened around uh, the Phantom Developer Incentives Program, which at the time was like super exciting, felt innovative because it was rewarding something different. Um, what is y'all's <laughs> feeling on this? Does it create mercenary projects or is it like a real long-term strategy? Guys, giving incentives is not a bad thing. It is not, is it sustainable or is it not sustainable? It's obviously never sustainable. Right? <laughs> right. So, so then the question is, well, what models, what scenarios has giving incentives worked? Right? So let's say you're going to start a burger shop and you say, guys, I'm launching this burger shop. In the first month, you buy one burger, you get a drink for free. Why do you do that? Come and try my burgers. Maybe my burgers are better than the burgers you normally buy. And then when I stop giving you the free drink, my burgers might be so good, you'll come back, right? So the idea of the incentives is just to get people in the door, give them a taste, let them try it, whether it's devs or whether it's users. That's not the important part of the equation. The important part of the equation is what do you do with that database? What do you do next? How are you planning for when you eventually remove the free, the free drink? And unfortunately, in, in DeFi, um, we're a little bit early, so we don't actually know. You know, we're not, we haven't completed that, that cycle. Um, but you got a bunch of incentives that got thrown on the ground. People rushed to pick them up, um, and then they got pulled without a plan of what happens next. Um, so I don't think incentives are bad, and I don't think the question is, is it sustainable? I think the question is, what is happening while those incentives are being deployed? And what is mm -hmm. the plan three, six, 12, 36 months out? And yep, if yep. you can unlock that, you make a lot of money investing in those waves, whether it's on, on, on various chains or various scenarios. Um, so good on optimism. You know, yeah. um, I, I, I'm transacting on there. And just, mm -hmm. you know, Suvlaki from Beethoven put out a really good thread with some analysis around, you know, the, the the utility of those incentives and how much TVL it actually represented, Beethoven's approach and other protocols approaches. I'd, I'd suggest you all go read it because um, it's very instructive. It's very early days in terms of what this looks like for DeFi, but incentives work if you know how to use them. Let's Fun go. For me. Would, would it motivate you to, <laughs> to build on optimism? Hell yeah. I'm not a builder, but, you know, I mean, Bebus went there. But you know, it could have gone to a million other places. <clears throat> Beethoven went there. Other places are going there. I think it's important to get you in the door. And if right. I get well, you in the door, yeah, now I'm in the game. Now it's up to me to keep you there, right? You know, and that's hard. Getting people in the door is easy. Here's a free drink, right? But come back next week when I'm not giving you a free drink is hard. So this model works. You just need to figure out the hard part. Sorry, Double. Hmm. You know, I mean, I, I just think it's when you 
incentives are sort of like subsidies and you see that in lots of industries when you're trying to get some new technology off the ground that's not immediately profitable so whether it's through government or or other organizations will subsidize that product or technology to you know get it over the hump so that it does become profitable and that's how i sort of view incentives as it's <laughs> networks trying to bring developers onto their platform to develop things to bring users so that eventually it can become a, a sustainable ecosystem um, because if if there's no if there's no capital on a network then it's really hard to pay your rent to developing on that network and so incentives can help um, help get developers and, and it flows through to users too when you use them for um, through emissions and things like that on tokens so it, it's sort of bringing people onto a network but like Nick was saying I think there does need to be a plan of how you how you take people to the next step which is it being uh, sustainable because <laughs> incentives are inherently unsustainable at some point you you can't just keep giving out um, you know large sums of money but you, the idea is that you give it out long enough with a plan that then you don't have to because everything's running itself yeah I mean I think it right. suppresses token price at some point right like if you're just constantly pumping out tokens and I mean I, but nevertheless let's, it's, let's not it's so, a, well it's about it's a balancing act of like yeah, yeah. you might be depressing like the price but you're also bringing new users and new projects yeah. so as long as one balances out the other then so we had one call with their DeFi team at optimism and, and the feeling I got was the places run like a very corporate structure. Um, and uh -huh. we've met with a lot of yeah. different foundation teams and it was a very different vibe. And so to Nick's point, uh -huh. so the one thing that I thought was interesting about the way they set this up and, and the reason I bring up the corporate structure thing is usually there's actually a lot of planning and there's a lot of teams that are like cohesive and, and you know, hopefully that brings success long term, obviously debatable on outcomes. But like if you look at what they've done, they actually left 8.8% of this 25% ecosystem fund unallocated. So to Nick's point about longevity, if you can bring people in and get the flywheel turning and have the user experience be really good, well, even though I start to pull back incentives, I'll probably stick around because it becomes your home chain. It becomes things that you're familiar with. You like to be there. So I think it's interesting that they've done that from a long-term perspective because that is a, that's a smart plan because now you're like, yeah. great, we don't have to make a decision. What am I doing? We don't, am I? sharing my screen uh no sorry You're done. we don't have to You're make good. the decision today uh we can figure it out in the future when we have more information and so that's that's really good and this was actually a visual of all the grants they've given out which i think <clears> is pretty interesting uh and some big ass numbers dude nine million i think bunts had uh a couple sentences you think right yeah. you want to jump in buns what you got yeah just just from the perspective of decentralization y'all know how i feel about that i'm all for it so really you devs don't work for free. Um, some might, but they're foolish if they do. Um, so realistically, and I say this also as a, a co-founder of a, of a relatively small cryptocurrency project, you have you have to have funding. It has to come from somewhere. And there's two avenues. Either you have public funding or you have private funding. And if you really want to maintain truly decentralized ecosystems, the only way to really do that is by leveraging these incentive programs. Because what that enables us to do as projects that are gen genuinely trying to not operate from a centralized standpoint where we have these um, bag holders that are in the background that are that are carrying on the project in, in secret um, is by having these sorts of options. So I think that that is extremely important and especially important in decentralized finance, especially. And I think that 
the more uh, that we that we allow for these incentives to really flow and to really think about it in a long-term perspective, the, the healthier it'll be for all ecosystems. And I think that sometimes the narratives about how like these incentives can be abused, et cetera, uh, like Nick said, it's always going to be unsustainable in some way. It's just to like employ these designs intelligently and know how much you can assume that they're going to sell every last dollar. And can you afford that? If not, then give out less, right? You don't have to give out hundreds of millions of dollars every time. It doesn't take that much money to really get a product up and going, but at least enough to pay the developers for a couple years to actually stick around. That's all. Yeah. I mean, well, you like, know, you know what I, I like to think I, of these programs as like, this is like, think of optimism, the optimism foundation, like the fed to a certain extent, you know, like they are trying to incentivize, um, growth in their community by creating uh, yield and and creating yield out of thin air in, in many cases. So really, it's like, how can you allocate this inflation toward lowering hurdle rates, toward getting people to bridge onto your network, toward ensuring that you can grow to a point where your network percolates and, you know, now you're the biggest dog in the room. Um, and that's like, really, really hard. And, and kind of where my uh, issue comes in, kind of like, you know, maybe I'm a glowy, who knows. But, um, you know, when I see like a DAO um, governing these incentive programs, I usually think, you know, it, it, you aren't escaping the bag holders controlling the narrative, you know, you're just making the bag holders less accountable. Like you look at mm -hmm. Optimism's funding round on Crunchbase, it's it's very obvious who's pulling the strings there, you know? Um, and, and sure, like it may give you some legal accountability, which is becoming thinner and thinner by the day. But really like what I look for when I see incentive programs is, I wanna see like a really intensely academic, like financial slash economic approach to this distribution because like, it, Blockchain like this, we're, we're making money. We're making financial products, okay? We may need to dance around the terminology so the SEC doesn't, you know, blow a hole through our heads. But at the end of the day, like, you are creating interest. You're creating bonds. People coming onto your network are essentially them, you know, lending money to your network so that you can grow. And people, like, you know, putting their money in Granary or in Reaper, that's them lending us, you know, their money so that we can grow it. And, and give them profit and, and make money in our own right. And, you know, it, it's, you know, just, it's been done a billion times. Like people have grown economies, people have grown financial institutions, people have created financial products and pretending like this is a grand reinvention of the wheel just because we need to dance around like the accountability aspects of things because you're gonna get dumped on by whatever VC holds the most. Um, you know, that that's kind of, uh, you know, I guess, I guess my thought, I, I, I want people to like not mess around, not fool around and just create intelligent financial products with these incentives. Yep. Like, okay, if you are a company and you're going to be here for X amount of days and you're going to lend us your talent, you're going to lend us your weight, your users are going to lend us their TVL, their liquidity, they're going to bridge, whatever you can expect this rate over this period of time, et cetera. And I've seen a lot of like willy nilly just throwing money around and it, it's inefficient. But what I like about optimism is smart people are building there. And, and going back to Suvlaki's thread, 
they are taking this money that they're getting, Beethoven in this case, and turning it into really intelligent, you know, highly efficient financial products. And like I think give you guys optimism, governance, et cetera, needs to think hard about that. Go ahead, Nick. I need to go. So let, let me give you an example. <laughs> um, back back when I was playing cards, there was a bunch of online poker rooms that would open up, right? And in order for a poker room to be effective, it needs volume, it needs people playing. So these poker rooms would contact me and my buddies and they'd give us deals where we'd sit on their empty tables and wait for people to play. That was bad for us because if we sat there for an hour and played no hands, we lose money where we could be playing hands elsewhere. So they compensated us and they gave us all these incentives so that we could start games. So let's call us the devs, right? We're building the game. They would also give incentives to users in terms of free money to come and play on the site, right? Deposit $100, we'll give you $600 in deposit money for free. So they came at the incentives from both sides of that marketplace, right? And they were losing money when they were doing this. Many poker rooms did this. One in particular, uh, most of them failed, right? Because of what Bebus was saying. One in particular looked at that and they put a team in charge of the devs, us, and a team in charge of the users. And they would constantly talk to us and the users. How can we make this place actually work where you'll continue playing? So we had demands and we had leverage. So we made them and we said, we want this feature and we want this feature. We want to be able to pay 12 tables at once. We want to be able to, when we withdraw, we want to get our money within 24 hours. And they would build these things to entice us to stay even after the incentives dropped off. They did the same thing on the user side. What do users care about? right? They want to get money on via a number of different payment methods. They want their money quickly. They want tournaments. They want their own avatar. So they were very proactive about from day one, focusing, how can I make life easy and pleasant for both sides of this marketplace so that we can have a thriving business? It ended up being one of the top three poker rooms sold for, sold for billions of dollars, right? And, and the incentives disappeared really quickly, but we continued playing because they made it a pleasant place for us to play. And we were making money. It wasn't a burger mm -hmm. shop, which is not the right analogy for DeFi, but a casino and a poker room might be, especially when you're paying people to sit there and play negative EV situations just so that you can start a business. So anyway, that just an example that these kind of things work if you're proactive about what happens next. You, you know Great what I think is even more impressive? Uh, Arbitrum doing this without a token and having more TVL than Optimism and more applications built than Optimism. Bro, um, they're doing it with a token. Like, they're just, yeah, it's, it's just coming and everyone knows dangling, it's coming. Dangling the carrot. Right. Yeah, I got to move yeah, us on yeah. here. I want to I end us with a couple of final thoughts on this because we have talked about incentives ad nauseum on this channel over various, you know, various yep. shows. There's a couple things I want to say just in, in, in retrospect, looking back, if you give developers a plan and you say, okay, if you meet these criteria, you will get these rewards and it will end on this date that you can reasonably stick to and they can make a plan that goes a long fucking way. Uh, if here's here's the word that I didn't hear, but I know that Nick was was alluding to. Definitely with the communication aspect, understand what your users want, but you have to have someone on the team that's smart enough to build a real relationship with these projects, to understand their needs as well as they understand their needs and to get that through into their hearts. Those are the things that will keep people and create a culture on your chain that great tech is great tech. 
but it is not a relationship. And you could throw yeah, money at it all day long, but it's not going to keep them. They, they put me on the player committee. They had a player committee and we'd meet once a month. Yes. What the fuck do you guys want? And we said, this is what we want. <laughs> and they say, well, you can have these three, but you can't have those two. So you're 100% correct. Um, I actually still hang around with that guy. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, um, but you're right. It's not just here's the money, go do your thing. It's this constant kind of how can we help and cultivate. Why? So we all win. Yeah, they realize yeah. that. For, for, for them to win, we needed to make money. I'm not going to go play there if I'm losing money and it, it's a shitty, shitty game to be in. So this kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, mutually beneficial relationship, you're 100% Austin, and the money without that, that's not sustainable and that goes away and you lose. Let's go. We're moving on. Next topic, final topic, because... We love Liquid Driver. So they're going cross-chain. And they're not just going like a little bit cross-chain. They're going to go a lot cross-chain <laughs> over time. And the first chain that they're going to is Optimism here. They, what did they do? Acquire like 1% of the Velo tokens or something like that to be able well, to bootstrap? Are, yeah, $50,000 worth of the Velodrome token. So Velodrome has a program where um, if you invest in lock in $50,000, or uh, I think it's 2 million Velo tokens um, that you gain some of their optimism incentives uh, in like an airdrop. So they airdrop people to incentivize locking of VENFTs during the kind of hyper volatile emission period. Um, and then beyond that, you get their voting power for a little while and, and your bribes get some matching and you get a lot of sentiment, positive sentiment from the Velodrome community. Um, so, so liquid driver saw that opportunity and it is, it is a really good value. It's a value contingent on Velodrome being successful long-term. Um, but to, to Nick's earlier point, like what I haven't seen from the optimism team is the relationship building and who is building all of the relationships is Velodrome. Um, so where optimism doesn't really have anybody managing clients, managing partners, Etc., or not enough people to handle like everybody on their network, Velodrome is, is doing that. And they're creating an ecosystem that is becoming quite, quite dense. Um, and where, you know, Beethoven may be all about being hyper efficient, spending very wisely. And I'm in that camp as well. I respect what Velodrome is doing, which is being willing to put down the cash and get people onboarded to the network. And that's really like, kind of a thankless job. Like if you go into the governance forums and look at what, you know, the, the conversation surrounding Velodrome, like people really aren't understanding that they're like taking a lot of hits for the network, lowering these hurdle rates, trying to get teams onboarded um, and, and doing the really annoying hard stuff, which is customer and client services. So um, super interesting to see Liquid Driver going that route. I think we'll see a lot of people going that route. I know a lot of really big firms and teams have already gone that route without necessarily advertising it. Um, so very cool. Uh, I, I think we're going to see some exciting stuff with all the phantom projects moving on to uh, optimism. We need to start a union there or something. Well, you know, Dr. Liquid, I, this guy is like, you know, you may not realize it unless your nose down in his discord, but these guys are builders and shippers and they come up with really, really cool ideas on ways to reward their XLQDR uh lockers and and just i i'm i've always been a fan you know we've been with them since day one and just absolutely love this team and love yeah. to see them find more success in their build they're we don't know 
do we? I'm just kidding. We've met. I but know anyway. they're handsome. <laughs> He's so a good looking be- boy. Bebus likes the girls, but you know, unless it comes to Doctor Liquid, he might, he might, uh, he might switch teams. All right. So, uh, what we need to do is we need to uh, we need to pick a comment, and I've been starring comments this entire time, and and the comment that I want to pick is this one from Jay Task. Picks of Andre accidentally showing the size of his member would do it, and you know what? I agree. I think it would do it. Jay Task, send Clay a DM. Uh, we all follow each other, so I, I'm sure Clay can get actually to you a lot easier. Do you have his handle? Yeah, and yeah, no, obviously we're, we're good to go there. Uh, I was going to say, a Dolan, if that's how you say it. I sent you a message from our main account. Check your DMs, bro. As a nice runner-up, I do want to mention Charles here. Nice mug, Austin. It's funny. My crack pipe says crack because coffee is bad for you. I really appreciated that comment early on. And if, if Task hadn't talked about Andre's member, you would have been the winner today, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've been watching this entire time and you have not liked the video or subscribed to the channel, what the hell are you doing? Please hit the like button. Subscribe to the channel. That's the best way that you can support us here at FTM Alerts. Ladies and gentlemen, Thanks for tuning in. It's been an awesome show. With me, as always, Crypto Clay, Justin Bebus, Double Sharp, the wonderful Nick Dracon, and the lovely Miss Buns. And I'll catch you guys on the next live stream. Emmett, take us out, brother.